Highlander podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we continue our History of Gear series with a conversation with Clint Pumphrey, the Archives Manuscript Curator at Utah State University Special Collections. We talk about the Outdoor Recreation Archive and his day-to-day archiving of the outdoor industry. Welcome back. This is Chase, and today I'm joined by a colleague at, at Utah State University, uh, Clint Pumphrey. Um, who's the archives manuscript manuscript curator uh, for USU Special Collections. Thanks for joining me virtually today. Yeah, yeah it's great to be here. Great to see you again since we're all at home. I know. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. You and I have been working on a few projects, and, and I thought it would be fun if we talked a little bit about your world and what you're working on. And um, in a way, kind of everything that we've been doing on this podcast is is archiving, right? And is oral history and, and preserving in a way, and that's your whole world. Um, but, uh, do you mind just sharing a little bit about kind of your role currently, um, with USU and, and with special collections? Sure. Um, so I've been a manuscript curator at, uh, Utah State University Special Collections and Archives. And basically what that means is I manage the university's historical document collections. Um, most universities have a department like ours and they have sort of collecting missions and a lot of times those collections are um, you know often focused on sort of the local region um, but also things that are uh, significant to the university curriculum you know strengths um, that the university has in its programs and so um, you know, with the outdoor uh, product design and development program, I mean, it's a natural natural partnership for us to, to work together to uh, collect materials related to the outdoor industry. And so, um, you know, while I am collecting a lot of local, you know, pioneer diaries and business records and, you know, things that deal with Cache Valley history and Northern history of Northern Utah, um, you know, I, uh, I'm also really excited to be a part of collecting the history of the outdoor industry as well. That's great. Yeah. And and that's an initiative that's kind of come together in the last few years. Um, what had, had special collections been acquiring items or collecting, you know, building collections around the outdoors prior to this, or what, what are some of the other outdoor collections that, that you've been a part of or the university has collected? Yeah. I mean, as you know, just by the nature of where we are in a beautiful valley surrounded by mountains, I mean, the outdoors plays a huge role in all of our lives and in, in the history of, of all the people in this valley. And so um, USU has a, a long history, USU Special Collections has a long history collecting 
materials um, related to the environment and um, to agriculture and water and all kinds of things that sort of, you know, play into this, you know, this larger theme. And, um, you know, for example, Utah State is the repository for the Utah chapter of the Sierra Club papers. And so, um, uh, you know, you can see that we had already been collecting things that were uh, related to, you know, outdoor recreation, um, if not tangentially, you know, sometimes really very closely. And so um, uh, um, we had been collecting things uh, related, but not necessarily, you know, papers or photographs or, or things related to, to gear or, you know, to, to um, you know, the production and design of gear. And so it's a little bit of a new direction. Um, but like I said, we did have this foundation in um, environment and in uh, the outdoors. And so it was a natural uh, new direction for us to take. Right. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how the collaboration came together? And, and, and I, I guess now the collection, if it has a formal name, is it the Outdoor Recreation Archive is kind of what we've been calling it. Um, yeah, I think that's probably as good as any name uh, right now. Um, that the it, it kind of came together you know Sean Michael who was the sort of the uh, you know one of the the people who really started this got this program you know your program started and um and and he teaches the history of outdoor uh the outdoor industry um at Utah State uh you know we've had a relationship with him in the past through some of his work with the or his uh, his work with the landscape architecture uh, department and so uh, when the outdoor uh, product des design program was being built, he approached us about how can we collaborate uh, on this new this new program. And uh, like I said, because we had already been collecting in some similar areas, uh, we were really excited to to do that. And um, I think you know through that initial contact. You know, I got in contact with you. We had some subsequent meetings, and um, you know, through your contacts, uh, people you had talked to, we were able to speak with some people who had some materials that would sort of start to build the foundation of that archive. And so, that's kind of how it's come about. And um, you know, I have a million ideas about what other directions to take it in, um, and we're working on some of those now. But um, that gives you a good idea of how we got started. Right. Um, maybe that can lead us a little bit into what's currently in the archive. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting, like the direction of the archive is influenced by like what you receive a little bit. And that, I think that kind of builds on it and, and informs like what it becomes later on. But I, correct me if I'm wrong. I kind of feel like when it started, we just thought, you know, we want to create something to start to preserve outdoor gear, history, um, but I don't know if we really knew what direction that would take. I think you informed that catalogs would probably be the the best thing to start um, collecting. And, and we kind of went down that path trying to find catalogs. But um, can you can you share a little bit of what's currently in the archive and um, how some of those those donations came about? Yeah, so, I, you know, there are a lot of different kinds of materials in the archive, um, books, you know, handwritten documents, photographs um, that deal with businesses, with organizations that come from individual people. 
and so, you know, when we're looking to collect on a new theme, um, we're not necessarily looking for a specific uh, type of thing to start with. You know, we're, we're looking at is what are our opportunities that are presenting themselves. And so in the case of this archive and, and collecting on, on the uh, history of outdoor gear in the outdoor industry, um, you know, you were able to put us in contact with um, some folks who had been collecting pretty extensively in outdoor catalogs. So everything uh, uh, from Eddie Bauer, L.L. Bean, uh, some of these kind of older companies uh, to, you know, North Face and Patagonia uh, from the 1950s all the way into the present. And um, so uh, we, you know, you put us in contact with them and we had some discussions about where, what they wanted to do with those materials and they decided to donate them to USU that, you know, we kind of sold them on this idea that uh, the catalogs would be used by students in the program and they would be available for it to be publicly accessed by uh, you know, faculty and members of the general public as well. And um, we were able to bring in, I think it was about uh, 12 or 1300 catalogs in that initial donation. And then um, we have been able to get a number of other donations as well as um, you know make some purchases to expand that uh, number to close to 2,000 at this point uh, catalogs that span from um, some really early like Abercrombie and Fitch catalogs. There was one I was looking at uh, we had we had bought recently that was from 1910 I think um, clear to um, some uh, catalogs that we had gotten from uh, our local outdoor retailer, Camp Saver, that were from 2019. So um, it's a collection that had, it's about, uh, like I said, about 2,000 catalogs. There are about 250 companies represented uh, in that collection. Um, and, you know, every day, really, I'm trying to find donors, trying to find people who are selling catalogs that will help you know, build that collection out. Um, and so that's really the bulk of what is in the collection now is sort of these, uh, the, the catalogs. And, um, you know, we, um, we can talk more about sort of where we want it to go, but um, I think what that does is it gives us a really good foundation um, and a really quick way of building out a pretty, uh, what, what I believe to be the only um, concerted effort uh, to collect outdoor industry catalogs uh, in the, in the country. So um, it's a it's a unique collection. It's already seen uh, quite a bit of use from students, from um, members of the public, um, and uh, you know we hope to build that out uh, in a number of other ways. Yeah. So kind of getting into just the essence of your work in general and and how that relates to this collection. Like, why archiving print materials? Like, what is it about that? You know, and maybe from a personal perspective, like, why do you do this? Like, what is it about archival work that, like, gets you out of bed every morning and gets you excited? Um, and then maybe leading into, like, you know, I guess, why, why should we care about print materials? Like, what is it about these, these documents, you know, and this work that, that we should all care about? Yeah, well, I think that just for me personally, 
definitely. I mean, one of the things that that, that is kind of, is great about archives is that you're in the business of preserving things basically forever. Um, and so, what a, you know, how many careers can, can you say that your work will have an impact forever, right? Mm, yeah. And so I think that. Um, you, you know, it is very meaningful in that respect that the things that you're doing now, um, uh, you know, the work, the things that you're collecting now, the work that you're doing now is influencing what's going to be available to pe people who are researching, uh, you know, our local history, the history of the outdoor industry um, for decades and centuries to come. I mean, it's, it's, it, it does kind of humble you a little bit in the scope in that, that sense. Um, but in terms of like, why should we care about print materials? I think this is a really good question right now, especially with, um, you know, more and more things going online and, um, you know, Google books or, you know, uh, you know, for people's personal websites, you know, you're easily able to post, um, things online fairly easily and that, that can be accessible. Um, but there's still a lot that we don't understand about preserving digital files for uh, and websites for the long run. Um, you know, there's a lot of complexity in, in digital preservation and, you know, the files themselves and the software that's used to open those files and make them viewable and, you know, the systems that are in place to make the internet work and, um, you know, think about how much all that's changed just in the last 30 years. And then imagine trying to make sure that we can continue to make those digital things accessible for, you know, centuries. I mean, think about how, you know, what a big problem that is and what a big challenge that is. Um, it is a challenge that people are taking on. But what we do know is that paper will last for thousands of years. We know it because there's paper that is, about, that is thousands of years old, right? And so, um, you know, when we talk about preserving these catalogs and, and keeping them, you know, in a climate controlled environment and, you know, acid free, you know, long, you know, stable boxes and folders, um, uh, it's really the best way to keep things. And it's, and it's really the best way to make things, make sure that things and information is preserved for the long run. And so, um, you know, we are, uh, like with the catalogs, we have incorporated a digital component where we are digitizing the covers and uh, putting those uh, in a digital exhibit uh, because they're great to look at. I mean, you know, and it provides a quick at a glance view of what it is that we have that's available. Um, but in the end, you know, even if we were to, to ultimately digitize a lot of the catalogs, we're always going to keep the paper copy because it is the most, the most stable and, um, uh, and, and so hopefully we'll be able to, it's kind of weird to think, I, I kind of make it a joke of mine, like, you know, I'm in the business of collecting people's junk mail, right? It's their, their catalogs that yeah. most people just think about throwing in, in the garbage. But, uh, um, you know, it's these kinds of things that are, you know, ephemeral, they, uh, they, they aren't something people normally keep around. And so that's why we want to provide a place for them to come and, uh, and, and, and you know, be on the shelf for, for people to use as long as possible. Right. And I think, I think, I don't know if that, I wonder if, if that was the perception, you know, back, back when some of these first, um, catalogs were being produced, I, 
I, I doubt that they were seen the same way as they're seen now. Um, but it's, it's interesting to look back at some of, you know, especially the Chouinard catalogs of, you know, of, of Patagonia fame, right. Um, Yvonne Chouinard, um, those catalogs are beautiful. And like each, each catalog cover is a, is a piece of art. And it seems like a lot of the catalogs, and, and I think that's, that's part of the motivation, right. For, for scanning the front cover is, yeah, you get a, a quick snapshot, um, of what's in the archive, but a lot of those covers are beautiful. And, and it's, it's sad that now we're, we've kind of gotten to that point where a catalog is seen as junk mail, but I, I imagine back, back then it was like, oh, wow, this is my, this is how I access products in the outdoor industry, right? Is for a lot of people, it was, you know, I order by mail, right? And this is how I get my gear. Yeah. Um, or this is how I find out like what's new and, and what's innovative and, and what's being created by these brands. Um, so, you know, for people who haven't looked through the collection, just scan some of the catalogs. And I, each one is, is, I like to see them as a piece of art. They're beautiful. Yeah, you can definitely tell that um, a lot of effort was put into some of these early catalogs. You have to remember, uh, like you said, back then, there weren't websites. You know, the companies didn't have websites. They didn't have a social media presence. And so a lot of their connection, their marketing was done through their catalog. and so to have those covers that were kind of caught people's eye and drew, drew people in. I mean, that was really important. And so um, uh, I think, you know, when you scroll through the gallery, that really comes across uh, in some of those early catalogs, how, just how, how beautiful they are. Yeah. Um, I've, I've recently been buying a lot of um, uh, those L.L. Bean uh, and Eddie Bauer catalogs and the early Abercrombie and Fitch. And they're all like paintings, you know, they're like, obviously somebody spent a lot of time and effort, you know, uh, you know, creating that uh, image and, and, you know, using that image to communicate what the company wanted to say about themselves. And um, so I think the, the, they're really great, even just, just to look at, not to mention all the information that's inside them. Right. Um, that that kind of leads me into, uh, and you alluded to it. How do you find new materials? Like w- you and I are both interested in growing this collection, and um, and we can get into who you know who it's for and who can access it. Really, and anyone can access it, right? That that's what the purpose is for. But um, can you share a little bit about the process of of seeking out more of these catalogs? I, I know the initial there were some key initial donations that really gave us. I feel like the momentum and really legitimized the collection. And there were a few individuals that, that you and I connected with um, that had their own massive collections that they pooled together. Right. And then donated those, those catalogs. And, and maybe you can speak to this more than I could, you were having conversations, but it seemed like the thought process was, you know, yeah, we have all these, these cool catalogs, you know, we've, we've cultivated our own personal archives, these individuals, but what happens when we're gone, right? Will the people after us really appreciate these boxes of catalogs that they're going to find? Um, and, and I feel like a lot of people are starting to think that it's, could I give these materials to a, a, a university, a place that has a program where students can study them, a place where they're going to be safe in, in a temperature controlled, you know, climate controlled environment and they'll live on beyond me. Um, you know, is, is that accurate to say? Um, kind of how some of those conversations go down for you and yeah I mean I think in terms of of, you know where do I find the materials um, 
I think it's really hard to, I think, you know, the fact that we were able to find a group of people that had collected very extensively already in, um, at least with the catalogs, that gave us a really good head start because it's really difficult for me to just kind of, well, really to find people. But then if I did find somebody to say like, hey, you should give your catalogs to USU, I mean, they're going to be like, well, why do you want them? What are you going to do with them? But, yeah. you know, with that initial donation, we were able to, you know, like I said, digitize the covers, create um, a digital exhibit that had uh, those covers displayed in a really appealing way. You were kind of able to push some of that out on, on the Instagram. And um, so we were able to, you know, once we found people who had materials we were interested in, we could say, hey, look here, look at this you know, web page that we built and like, look what, look at what we're trying to do. And so, I mean, that was a really important part of starting this, this process. Um, in terms of, you know, how do we approach people and what kinds of arguments do we make about why they should give their, their things to us? Um, I mean, having the program, the, out, the outdoor product design program is huge because um, I think, you know, a lot of times people collect these things and, you know, they, they like to look at them and they're very invested in them and they get to a point where they're not sure what's going to happen to them. You know, do their kids want them? Um, are they interested in them? Do they know anyone who would want to take, you know, 50 boxes of catalogs and just store it at their house? Probably not. And so to be able to say, you know, we can provide you with uh, you know, a place where you can deposit your, uh, your catalogs where, you know, they'll be, you know, uh, um, kept in a temperature controlled environment. They'll be described and be publicly available. They'll be used by students who are essentially the next generation of outdoor product design designers. Um, I think that's really appealing and it all just relies on, you know, the networks that you can build from those early donations. So, um, you know, uh, I know the, the folks who collected that initial donation, they knew other people who also had interests and they reached out to them and, you know, we were able to get some materials from them and, you know, the people who you've met through, you know, your various work with, you know, marketing the program and doing the podcasts and, you know, just mentioning like, Hey, we're doing this whole outdoor archive, like all of those things, you know, it just kind of spreads and then, more and more people know about it and then you know they go out and they say they mention to somebody else like hey like i know you've got all this stuff like i heard usu is is you know collecting this kind of stuff and so um you know they put those people in contact with you and you bring it to me and you know we just kind of slowly try to build not just the catalogs but hopefully in, in other areas as well it's been interesting um you speak to like building an affinity for the university, right? Like you're only going to donate dollars, you know, materials, like, you know, in, in any kind of fundraising or, or donation, um, you know, type experience, you're only going to give those things if you have an affinity for something, right. Or an institution. And, you know, the majority, majority of items in the collection, like most of those brands aren't in Utah. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And, and so it's it's really important to build that affinity with these brands and and tie it back, like you said, to to the program, um, to the students who are going to appreciate and study those materials, to faculty who could 
could study those and, and write papers and do research. Um, it, it, it was interesting, you know, recently um, we had REI on campus, someone from REI, and it was fun to be able to bring them down um, and meet with you and see um, REI catalogs um, from the past. And they were geeking out over all, all the catalogs and they thought that was the coolest thing. And REI is one of the companies that seems to have a really strong archival effort going on within the company. Um, and I think that's been interesting for, for you and me to, to see which companies are really taking this seriously, which ones have the bandwidth and, and the assets internally to, to preserve their own work. Um, and I think you and I have both found like there's some companies that just don't have the bandwidth or the opportunity, um, you know, or the assets to do the work. Um, and I think we've started to find companies that are willing to share their materials and share their history, knowing that the university could maybe do a better job preserving their history than they maybe could internally. Or, um, you know, you and I have both heard horror stories of, of companies that have gone through corporate, you know, corporate changes and leadership change and, and those materials bounce around and, and, um, you know, maybe they were valuable to the original founders, but, you know, no longer to the, the new parent company that acquired the company. Um, so it's been interesting to see, you know, the response from, from industry when, when this whole initiative came together, what, what's the response that you've heard in your work? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's important to remember, um, when you're doing this work that, you know, uh, the, the purpose of a, of a business is not to, you know, collect their heritage and like, you know, preserve their legacy necessarily. Like, you know, there are going to be some, you know, marketing efforts here and there, or maybe they talk about some of that stuff or they, you know, bring back some old products or, you know, they use their legacy to, to help promote what they're doing. Um, but their main, you know, their main goal is to sell products and that's, that's perfectly fine. You know, that's, that's what mm -hmm. their, that's, that's like what their, their main goal is and, and as it should be. And so, you know, when, when, what ends up happening is a lot of the older materials either get thrown away or they just get passed from person to person as the staff turns over. And so um, a lot of times that stuff can really easily get lost or um, at least get misplaced or buried or whatever. And so um, you're right. I mean, I think that's what we can offer is, you know, we have, that's like what we're paid to do, right. Is to, is to, to sort through that stuff and describe it and in, in a way that's useful. And, um, and we have a dedicated space, you know, in the library where people can come and look at the materials, whereas a, a company would, you know, they're not going to like let people come in their office and dig through their file cabinets. Right. And so, um, you know, we, we can provide that, that expertise, that, that, uh, that time, and uh, to dedicate to preserving the materials and making them accessible. And you're right, we found, I think, um, uh, you know, like, uh, I think Patagonia has a ded dedicated archivist. Um, you know, REI has kind of a team of people who I think do other things, but they've sort of been assigned this task of building an archive. Yeah, an archival committee of sorts. Yeah. yeah, so they're trying to get that figured out. And, and, and so we're, maybe think of some ways we can work with them to, to help in that process. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of these small companies, you know, they're, they're just, they're not even making money yet. You know, they're, they're just trying to like get their name out there, get their product 
um, out, out, out there. And, um, you know, in the meantime, a lot of their, you know, the early things that they're producing, you know, fo photographs or, you know, office files or different things like, you know, especially now with electronic records where, you know, you change, you switch out your computer and, you know, half your emails could get lost or something, you know, like, um, it's not what they're, it's not what they're thinking about. It's not their top priority. And so, um, I think, you know, that's a big service we can offer in a way that we can sell uh, Utah State Archives um, to help in this effort is just that very thing that that's, we've been doing it since 1967. And, um, you know, we have literally millions of items uh, in the collection already, uh, not, not just, not the outdoor archive, but in all of our collections. And so we're very well established and uh, very committed to preserving all of the things that we have um, for the future. Yep. So with that said, with, with the amount of experience um, that's in, in the archive, in the archives and special collections, um, you know, once you, you, you know, connect with someone who's maybe willing to donate the materials or you end up buying the materials. I know you've been spending some time on eBay buying catalogs um, that, that you're finding there from individuals, um, which is interesting that the university is willing to do, you know, certainly accept donations, but also there, there's some buying that happens, right? Um, what happens when you get to that point that, um, you know, someone's ready to, to make a deal, whether that's a donation or, or the university's buying? What, what happens next? Yeah. Um, so if, you know, if we identify, say, a donor who has some catalogs that they would like to do donate to us, um, you know, they, they send those materials to us. If it's a lot of materials, we can help uh, with some of the shipping costs. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, we do a form called a deed of gift, which basically transfers ownership of the, the property from the individual to us. And, um, you know, then it goes into a process where, you know, we describe it in some way. So, um, uh, you know, like when, you know, for people who, you know, don't, you know, people whose main experience with a library, maybe their public library or their school library, you know, you have a library catalog, right, that has entries for, you know, that you search for different books. So we create basically a, a catalog record for these, these, uh, a library catalog record for the outdoor catalogs, a little confusing there, um, so that people can, can search our library's catalog. Um, and, uh, you know, recently before we all started working at home and uh, have a little bit, haven't had as, as good of access to the, to the materials, we were beginning to develop a workflow where for every catalog that was donated or purchased, we would um, scan the cover as well and, and add that to the website that I've been talking about um, with, that has all the cover scans. And so, um, uh, you know, we put those material. Then we take those 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 catalogs. We put them in acid-free folders and acid-free boxes. And there's a, a location in our department on the shelf where where they all go. And then, um, if somebody wants to uh, come look at the physical item, then they can come in the reading room and uh, in in USU's library in the the lower level, and uh, uh, basically look at those materials in our department. Um, you know, they, they, you can't check it out like, like you can 
your books because these are often these are unique, uh, rare items and sometimes one of a kind and so um, we, we we don't let them go out the door but um, if it's a purchase uh, you know like you said I've been spending quite a bit of time on eBay there's there's quite a few surprising number of people out there who have you know Abercrombie and Fitch catalogs from the 19 teens that they're that they're selling or uh, LL Bean and Eddie Bauer are the other ones I've been buying a lot of lately um, but uh, you know we uh, purchase those they they mail them to us and and then they go through very much the same process as if they were a, a donation um, we also work with um, uh, book dealers so rare book dealers to kind of also keep their ear to the ground about you know, if there are any kind of any catalogs, we let them know that's an interest that we have. And then they kind of look around for uh, uh, catalogs that they can acquire and then turn around and sell to us so that it helps us, you know, gives us more sets of eyes to look around to, to, to find the things that we need. So that's basically how it works. That's great. Um, how, how has the, the archive been used? I, and I guess like, how, how is it available to people? How can people access it? You mentioned online, you can at least see what's in the collection, which is probably helpful. I, I imagine you don't want people coming to you saying, I would like to see the whole collection. You, you probably want people coming and, and looking at, at the website and seeing, okay, I want to look at Black Diamond, um, Chenard. Um, I want to look at a couple brands, I imagine, <laughs> right? Um, so it's just easier for for people in the archive working um, to bring those materials out. How do people access it? How, how has it been used currently? Yeah, so like I said, we, you know, we build a, a catalog, library catalog record for each catalog, but you know, you're talking 2000 catalogs, that process takes a lot of time. So one of the things that I've done is I've created, um, uh, it's, it's kind of a glorified spreadsheet of, of each catalog with an entry, a line for each catalog that you can sort by company name because you're right, most people want to look at, you know, at a catalog by company. And then it's sorted by date so you can kind of get a sense of what it is. And I popped it into something that uh, a system we have through USU's library called a LibGuide, which is um, just a website uh, that we can quickly and easily create um, uh, uh, through, the, through the library that just gives some really general information about um, a specific topic, in this case, the catalog collection. And so that is actually the most up-to-date record um, of those materials. Uh, uh, um, like I said, we're, we're, we try, we're working to keep the, the, the digital exhibit that has the catalog covers um, up-to-date. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're always going to be working towards figuring out how we can make those things more accessible. And um, obviously a lot of people find things through Google. And so how can we like create um, uh, uh, descriptions that are, that Google crawls so that people can find us in that way. So we're, we're working on some ways to do that. Um, so your other part, Oh, how have they been used was the, the other part. Yeah. Um, so some of the use um, has been from people on campus. Um, I've had a couple of classes that have come in, uh, a couple of design classes um, from the Outdoor Product Development Design Program. Um, and, uh, you know, they want, I basically pulled 
uh, four or five catalogs from every decade represented in the collection. So the 19 teens all the way through the present. And uh, the assignment that they had to do was basically to use those catalogs and use some of the historical designs in the industry to, you know, kind of come up with their own designs. Like how can, how can they use designs from the past to influence the, the work that they're doing currently? I mean, retro is all, it's still, it's always a big thing, right? Sure, and so yeah. having those materials to, as to use for inspiration has been really important. Um, you know, part of the OPDD program is also, uh, you know, the history of outdoor product, um, outdoor industry. And so um, we've had uh, that class has also used those materials um, uh, where they get on the, the, the website, they find a, a catalog cover that speaks to them in some way, and they, you know, write a little short essay about, you know, what that, uh, what that cover speaks you know, says about the industry at that given point and had to answer a few other questions about it. So, you know, some of that use has been in the program, which is great. I mean, that's a, you know, that's, that, that was one of the main goals when we created it, but um, it's surprising too. We've had um, a couple of researchers who uh, are from out of state who have found um, the collection online and have been curious about, uh, viewing the, the catalogs as a whole. And, you know, while I would love to be able to digitize all the catalogs and make them all fully available, um, it's a time consuming process. And, you know, because um, a lot of them are from companies that are still around, we can't just scan them and put them online without those companies permission. And so um, we'll work toward having more of that, but, um, you know, right now, the, the best way to access the full catalogs is by coming to the library and uh and taking a look at those um uh in our department so i imagine you will have some researchers who are willing to come out you know from other institutions and spend however long and and dig through those materials i'm sure we haven't had anyone do that yet but i imagine but i i would think that in the future that that's something that you know i i imagine that being a way that these materials would get used used in the definitely. future definitely i i look you know like I said, I've kind of, since we started doing this, I've looked around at different universities to see, you know, what are they collecting in terms of, of catalogs specifically. And, you know, they may have a pretty good run of Patagonia or they might have a pretty good run of Eddie Bauer or, you know, North Face, but no one is really collecting all of the companies all in one place. And so you have to think, and, and you know, this one researcher in particular I'm thinking of is from New York at a university in New York, and she was doing some research on the history of the outdoor industry, and she said, um, you know, she had been pulled in by a record from one company, and so she thought, oh, I, I want to see what they have from this one company, and then when we told her, like, we actually have 250 companies represented in this collection, she was like, well, that's probably worth me taking a trip, mm -hmm. and so, you know, once we're all back on airplanes, you know, hopefully maybe we'll see her the the outdoor industry is is relatively young um you know it, compared to other industries um so i i feel like there's a tendency for for people in the industry to maybe not realize like how significant it is um you know how, how impactful the industry is and and you know a lot of the the key founders of the industry are still around you know the Yvonne Chenards are still here um in in some regards 
Um, and, and, you know, not speaking of him in particular, but I know some founders who just think, well, what I'm doing isn't necessarily significant. I'm just running a business. You know, I just, I, you know, designed this product and, and maybe they don't recognize like in the grand scheme, the historical significance of some of the work that they're doing. And so, um, it just seems like in some of those instances, there isn't, um, an urgency to preserve and protect their history. Is that something that you've seen as well? Yeah, I, I think that sometimes there's a misconception that history happened like hundreds of years ago, you know, that mm-hmm. it has to be in black and white in order for it to be historical, right? Yeah. Um, but the reality is that, uh, you know, the, the things that are being produced right now are going to be significant evidence of the past in, you know, in the future. That's kind of a confusing statement, but, um, you know, the things that we collect from now are going to be used by researchers in the future Mm -hmm. to look and see what things were like at this time, at this current time. And so, you know, to think that what you did in the 1990s or the 1980s or the 1970s is not old enough or historical enough or somehow because it's, it's, it's not the civil war or, you know, world war two, or, you know, it's not the great depression. It's not, it's not important. I mean, I think that's a mistake and, um, and not one that anybody's making intentionally. I think it's, um, just in our nature, most of our nature to think that, you know, what we're, what we're doing is not, you know, the, something that maybe would be worthy of being in an archive that right. you know, we, don't, we don't naturally feel that way. Um, but in reality, the best thing that we can do, like you said, is to collect these materials, collect these stories while a lot of these people are still alive. Because if, you know, they pass on and their, you know, children maybe don't have the same interest in the industry or, um, and, you know, they, send things to estate sales or, you know, stuff gets dispersed between, you know, different, a lot of different people. It's really hard to put all that stuff back together again. And so making those contacts, collecting that history now is the best thing that we can do to document any industry, but especially one that, like you said, is so recent uh, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Right. No, I think, I think that's great. Um, what, what do you think that says, um, you know, having archives like this, having research that's been done um, on the industry's products and the brands of the industry, what do you think that does for the, maybe it's kind of an odd question, the legitimacy of the industry? Do you think there's something to that where you have institutions of higher learning that are preserving, protecting, writing papers, you know, performing research on the industry? Does that do something to legitimize the industry as a whole? Yeah, I think so. I think it does for any, for anyone. Um, you know, one of the, the conversations that we've had just at Utah State is, you know, there are a lot of, um, uh, there are a lot of options for where you can go to college in Utah. And some of them, you know, are not as, uh, as, as old and don't have as long of a history as Utah State does. And so one of the ways that we sell Utah State to, to, to high school students is, you know, hey, look, we've been around since 1888. Look at these photos. Look at these, you know, founding documents. Look at, 
um, you know, look at, at, at our history and, you know, how long we've been around and how long we've worked to perfect, you know, higher education and, um, and improve upon it. And so, uh, you know, with something like the outdoor industry, I think the same is true. Um, you know, you're, you know, um, uh, you know, sure, you're, you know, you're relatively new. If you think about, you know, in terms of companies that have been around forever, um, but, uh, you know, having those historical materials, um, you know, preserved and, um, you know, in a, in a place, you know, like, like an institution, an institution of higher learning. Um, I think it does, um, show that it's an industry that's here to stay, that's significant and relevant and, um, you know, is important, not just sort of on its own merits, but in terms of how the industry fits into the, the, the broader history of the region and, you know, the West. And, you know, I think their, you know, outdoor recreation and outdoor gear, I mean, that's such a huge part of the history of the West and the way that we experience the outdoors. And um, so to be able to preserve that history and, you know, put it in a place that's publicly accessible, I think you're right. I think it does lend some it definitely creates a legacy for a company long after that company has changed or moved on or, um, uh, and, um, um, you know, I hope that we can help in that effort. Well, I, I think it's, you know, just you mentioned there at the end to be able to preserve the history of, not all these companies are going to continue. Right. And, and a lot of the companies that are in the collection, have come and gone. Um, and you know, those, those companies deserve to be remembered in a way like they had an impact right on this industry, whether people remember or not. Um, and so I think, I think it's important to be able to preserve, you know, especially those stories that, that are going to disappear, right? There's, there's some of these larger companies that they're going to be around for a long time, but Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of little companies that, you know, deserve to be remembered. We, you know, we talked about a few um, with Bruce Johnson on the first episode of this series, you know, the whole you bars of the world that are now coming back, right? People love a comeback story and they love that vintage look and, and that history. And, and so some of these brands are coming back, which is interesting. Um, but others have, have come and gone and, and, and Bruce talked about a, a few Frostline kits as one that, um, you know, came and went. And, um, but there's a lot of lessons to be learned from, from some of those smaller companies as well. Um, that if they're not being preserved by us, you know, who's going to do it? I'm, you know, someone else might, but who knows, right? I'd rather not take that chance, um, and take the gamble. Um, yeah. And, and you think some of those smaller companies, I mean, they're, sometimes they bring innovation to the bigger companies, you know, they may mm -hmm. be just focused on one specific product, but that idea that they had for that product is a really great idea and it maybe gets bought out by another brand but you know capturing that moment in time where you know that idea was conceived and you know showing that you know how that sort of changed the industry i mean that that's important and um you know i think everybody hopes that their company will be around forever and that it will um you know have a huge impact on the industry going forward but you know, as we've seen with, um, you know, even some of the biggest companies, uh, 
100 years ago, Sears, uh, for example, is a really good example. Um, you know, speaking of catalogs, right? People used to buy yeah. everything. And it used to be the Amazon of, you know, the early 19 or the early 20th century. Um, but, you know, um, they're not around anymore for Oregon. For so even the biggest companies, you know, aren't guaranteed to be around. So, um, and that's, and those are some of my favorite catalogs is these little companies that are coming out of like Jackson Hole or, you know, Bozeman or something. And, you know, these, these little companies that are getting started. Um, you know, getting as many of those things as we can because, you know, hopefully they will become big, important players in the field, but they may just fade away for whatever reason. And so right. I think you're right. Like getting on that and collecting is, is, is good. Um, so kind of looking towards the future now, the, the collection is an over, the overwhelming majority of the items is, <clears throat> is a catalog of some kind, right? Um, where do you see this collection growing? I, I know that you're still pursuing catalogs I and mean, there's so many more to preserve. And, and I think the ideal is that we get complete runs of, of catalogs from, from all the brands that we have currently and, and those that we don't have. Uh, so I imagine you're working to complete some of those runs. Um, but what other items, what other print materials would you like to see us start to grow into outside of catalogs? I know, you know, that's a huge undertaking in and of itself just to preserve yeah. catalogs, but where would you like to see us grow? Right. Like, like I said, the, the catalogs, I think, are a great foundation, but, you know, they really are the 20,000 foot view of the industry. They represent sort of the end, the end product, right? They, these are the products that we're selling. These are, this is how we're marketing it to customers. Um, but what we want to know, in addition to that, is you know, how are these products designed? How are they used? And um, so what we would really like to do is to use the catalogs as sort of a springboard into collecting materials um, uh, from uh, key individuals, from, you know, key companies in the industry. Uh, so, you know, not, not, just, not just things like catalogs, but um, maybe like design sketches or um, maybe photographs of, you know, uh, 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 you know, manufacturing, you know, early kind of like manufacturing processes. I mean, I know like Holubar, for example, a lot of that work was being done out of the founders' basements. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to so have images that document sort of how do these companies sort of come to be and how do they build them um, but not only that, but also, you know, like I said, how do you, these products get used? I mean, I would love to collect more um, collections from people who are, you know, uh, uh, important figures in climbing and mountaineering and, um, you know, or kind of ambassadors for some of these different brands. You know, what, um, you know, what are some of the ways that they sort of push the limits of the technology and help sort of change it just based on the demands that they had on the equipment. Um, I think there's a whole like ecosystem of companies and, you know, recreationalists and, um, you know, that you could, that, that exist out there. And, and in order to get a, the best, uh, in order to have the best record of the industry, you need to have all of those things represented. So the catalogs are a great start. And like I said, they provide us with a really good, way to show 
potential donors, what we've done, you know, what, what we're capable of. Um, but that's the next step is, is, is expanding that out beyond just the catalogs and, and um, making connections with companies and individuals who will also build the collection with their donations. That's great. Yeah. And that, that's an exciting future to look into. I, I, I love this project and it's, it's one of the things that I love most about, you know, being involved at the university. Um, it's been fun to see it, you know, from, from the beginning to what it is now and the response that it, you know, has been, re- been uh, received from, from industry. I, I just hear overwhelmingly positive things. Um, you know, my, my little part of this as well, you know, is I've been running the Instagram and again, speaking to like making these materials more accessible. Um, it's been fun to put materials on Instagram and there's a whole community of individuals who they're also sharing like vintage stuff that they have from the industry, vintage products. Like there's, there's one person that we've, we've interacted with on Instagram that just, they collect Patagonia, like vintage Patagonia, um, apparel and they post it. Um, so there's this whole community of people that now like through a new me- you know, relatively new medium are experiencing the collection. So any way we can make it more available is I think is a positive thing and, and has been fun to interact with people that way and, and find other people who are super passionate about this. There's a lot, sh- a lot of passion around, um, this work, so I can only see it growing. Um, so with that said, um, I know people can access, you know, a, just like a, a really quick view of the collection, you know, it's, it's limited, it's whatever we've posted, but I try to post every day. Um, it's just outdoor rec archive on Instagram. Um, and then I know that, that you can access the exhibit. Um, we can, we can put that specific link in the description. Um, if you, I don't know if you have that on hand with you, but, sure. um, but I sure, can, yeah, I, can I think that description. Um, a link to that digital, the, the, the digital exhibit with the catalog covers as well as the, um, the inventory of all of the, the current inventory of all the catalogs. I think that would be a great to put a link in the description. Okay. We'll include both of those. And then if, if anyone has materials that, you know, they're interested in donating or want to collaborate in any way, how's the best way to reach you? Uh, so you could email me. Um, my, uh, uh, my email is just clint.pumphrey at usu.edu, C-L-I-N-T dot P-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y at usu.edu. Um, you can call me on the phone, 435-797-0891. Uh, you can Google uh, Utah State University Special Collections and Archives, and you can find that contact information uh, there as well, if, it, uh, if, if that works. And so. Um, or you can reach out to Chase and he can put you in contact with that's too. true. Yeah, happy to happy to connect anyone who's who's looking to to help out with us. So I'll include all of those ways to contact us in the description as well. But uh, any last thoughts about about this work? You you've done you know such incredible work bringing this whole collection together. It wouldn't be possible without you. So any any last thoughts that you want to share about about this work about this collection? I mean, I think I would just kind of reinforce what you. Uh, your 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 request for donations. I mean, uh, any archive really relies on uh, donations of materials in order to uh, to grow and and build and and build the archive and enrich the the materials that are there. And so, um, you know, if you have anything, even if you don't think it's necessarily something that we're uh, looking for, 
um, I would just encourage you to reach out to me and we can have that discussion and, um, you know, hopefully we can all uh, work together to build something that's really great and will be used for a long time. That's great. Well, thanks again, Clint. And thanks for all your work. Um, it's been fun to be a part of this and fun to help build something that's going to live, live past us and, and people are going to enjoy. So sure. thanks again. All right. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlandermag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.